Oh, well, he'll grow up sometime. But at 15, 15, 15... Cody, and as always, I'm joined by Dan Wade. Hey, Dan. Can I just pick up on something? Go on. Why do you always introduce yourself first? Uh, because then I give you the platform to speak afterwards. Just makes everyone think, you know, that you're the host of the show. I am the host of the show. Well, I'm also the host of the show. Well, you're the secondary host. Oh. It's definitely a tier system. I think the listeners know that. You're more the contributor. You're Mark Kermode to my Sam and Mayo. It is my show. Is it your show? Um, yeah. Or is it our show? I think it is my show. Came up with the whole conceit of it, came up with the logo of it, do the whole editing, do the whole production. But you would be nowhere without me, so... What the list is that Dan's aware of, Dan is basically my financier. Yes. That is what Dan brings to the table here. Cash. Dan has bought himself a seat at the round table. That is what he has done. He's like a rich oligarch who's just paid his way into the king's curiosities and the king's allowed him to come join him for dinner you're the king are you i mean it that analogy ran away with itself it really did but what are we having for dinner then goose uh i've never had goose nor have i i'd like to try it at christmas but mum's a bit of a stickler for turkey don't know why it's horrible meat what are we doing christmas i haven't been invited to the king's feast no surely sometime in the future we'll do one when uh, I'm married and have kids and you're still alone, we'll invite you over. Yeah, and just get drunk. You can cook. We'll do. How about we do a big goose and we do a big salmon? Oh, because we don't eat. Yeah. Uh, we don't. We don't eat well because we eat fish, don't we? Can't talk about Claudia like that. <laughs> so you're not going to put that in, are you? Because you're scared of her. Uh, I wouldn't say scared of her. Just respectful of her. You're not though, because some of the stuff you say to me. All right. <laughs> so moving on. <laughs> Uh, what are you wearing, Dad? That looks horrible. Oh, well, this is one of my favourite shirts. Really? Just, I've got a little bit of a pot belly going on at the moment, so... A little. It just is a bit tight. Wait. So we went to my grandma's on Thursday, and she said to my sister, she said, oh, if you've lost weight. And I said, <clears throat> what about me? And she went, actually, you look a bit fat. And then it turns out, she went to my granddad when they were in downtown. She goes, um... <laughs> Sorry, the Chinese. God, you look... Downtown. <laughs> Very good. No, in the superstore downtown. What the hell is downtown? It's like a big shop. Okay, all right, maybe it's a Midland thing. I'm imagining the range. Yeah, it's basically the range. Okay, but not purple. No, uh, blue. But uh, very close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are actually. I just, yeah, you're right. So she was. They were in downtown recently, and she said, "Oh, you look really fat in that shirt." To my granddad. Wow. She's been on a right warpath. I've met your grandma. She's not exactly a stick insect. No. Did you be saying that though? Saying a That's French, isn't it? Go on, get yourself out of that one. Got a lot of dead air at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like sometimes if you leave a wolf to starve, 
it'll become a stronger wolf. So if I let a joke bomb, you might find this way out of it with a better joke. Okay. That's very patronising of you, isn't it? I'm comparing that to a king. I'm <laughs> on the horse. <laughs> What's come over me? How is your ivory tower on your clip-clop horse? Glippity, cloppity, glue. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, Stronger Wolf. <laughs> Daniel and Stronger Wolf weird. Oh, dear. So at this part of the show, listener, is where we usually talk about the film we should have watched after last week's show. But we've got a bit of a confession to make. Yeah. Go ahead, Dan. We're not always the hottest at watching the film straight away. You know, life gets in the way. And when we came to, you know, peruse it with our eyes, shall we say, slight issue that it was no longer on Netflix. So what a waste of time that was. Doing a review. Yeah, obviously the film in question is Robocop. Me and Dan had a call last night, actually, discussing should we instead watch Robocop 3 featuring Samuel L. Jackson? (laughs) We uh, avoided that avenue, I think. Yeah. Should we maybe guess what happens with the film? Because I'm pretty sure I know what will happen. He turns into a Robocop, kills a load of people, cleans up Detroit. Actually, Luke, I've got it. For people who have seen the film, write in. For people that have seen the film, write in. I love it, Dan. This is the review show where we don't watch the films we review. We get you to tell us about them. Winning format idea. If you could just send in a line even, or just even a word to describe the remaining hour and a half that we haven't watched this film, then we can just read a few of them out at the start of next week's show. That'd be brilliant. So sorry about that. But to be fair, listeners, it has shaved five minutes off your podcast. That's true. And the email just quickly is uh, therestisnoise.uk at gmail.com Our first film this week is in the trending category It's the big new film on Netflix It's called Extraction Dan, take it away A hardened mercenary's mission becomes a soul-searching race to survive when he's sent into Bangladesh to rescue a drug lord's kidnapped son So we open with Chris Hemsworth on a bridge shooting some guys and all I'll say to you is it's a mighty fine action sequence because it does look good doesn't it It feels like it's gonna pack a punch it feels like it is gonna pack a punch but the opening 15 minutes of this film is basically him taking off his suit and taking off his gloves ready for the bar fight like the punch is not coming anytime soon We don't really have actually that much in the first 15 minutes we have which you touched on which is basically a flash forward scene but apart from that, we didn't really have enough. Yeah. Another thing which I touched upon in this, and it seems to be the common trend at the moment, they have to set up this sort of character study of our hero. And because our hero is presumably going to be killing quite a few people in this film, mm. you have to set him up as a tortured soul. Like you need to give him a reason that he can now kill and it can be okay. Yep. Because people that kill shouldn't really be heroic. So if you say, oh, he's had horrible memories in the past. and Of him walking kinda... around on a beach. What a horrible memory, being on a beach. You've lost me there, then. Is that one of the memories? You could say he was washing off his sins in water. The main sin being the horrendous CGI he used to get there. Yeah, go on, Dan. Tell the listener about this scene. It was just ridiculous, this, wasn't it? So basically, listeners, he wait, he's on, him and his mates are on top of a cliff and for some reason they have to prove... It, they can't just use the flash forward to show his proficiency uh, at war. They have to use another kind of whatever this thing is scene to show us how amazing this guy is. He's so cool. He can jump off cliffs. So he wakes up. Oh, I'm so tired. What does he do? He swigs his beer because, you know, he's a tortured soul and he's drinking a lot. 
then hold my beer to his mate. And then he just casually walks off the edge of a cliff because, ha don't worry about me, guys. I'm so cool. I mean, he didn't jump off a cliff. He clearly just jumped in front of a green screen because it was the most horrendous CGI I've seen. It was like something out of Avengers, but Avengers is a slapstick camp superhero movie, not a gritty, real 18 you know, action movie. It was just, oh, it's just awful CGI. And then the worst part is, you see him sitting at the bottom of said lake in the fucking lotus position. Like, I'm so spiritual. Oh my God. Should we uh, talk about some good parts of this film? I was quite impressed with the opening five, six minutes of so, which were set predominantly in Mumbai and focused what, on... the really boring bit? I don't think it was too boring. They sort of set up the point that... Uh, that's maf- what my note says. This ma- Luke thinks it's boring. <laughs> this mafia boss uh, son is get kidnapped. So you basically see this this son's day. And the son should not be punished for the sins of his father. I hear what you're saying. Wasn't quite what I was getting at. One guy's bad doesn't mean the whole world should go to hell in a handcart. But Dan, sometimes the acorn doesn't fall far from the train. Well, it's all horses for courses. That pretty much sums it up, listener. Take what you will from all that. Because me and Dan watch so many films, we're always looking for stuff that's original. And it's quite hard to come by, so films will often remind you of other works of art. Works of art, as if Taken's a work of art. But anyway, this film reminded me of Taken. i tell you what is a work of art. Olympus has fallen. Mass to peace. Yeah, it reminds me of that as well. Well, Taken especially. In Taken... Uh, that's an extraction film of sorts. It's a man who's going to get his daughter for his love for her. But in this film, it's a guy who's off to go and find... I mean, it's a bit more than go and get his daughter. It's not like he's forgotten to pick her up from school. <laughs> what, uh, what sound effect should I have for bombing jokes in this? What do you want? Should we have a car crash? Should we have, like, a balloon? Like a Zeppelin going down? <laughs> But you know what I mean, though? A lot of action films worry too much about the character story of the lead or trying to make them a bit grittier and having more weight towards them. Whereas films like Taken just go all out action and they're quite enjoyable in that sort of way. Like they lose their inhibitions about trying to be sort of weighty. I th- yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? This film is trying to be sit in two camps. It's trying to be a hard, ha- hard-hitting, violent, bloody action movie, but also trying to be quite a clever meaningful character explosion. I think what's more interesting is the fact that we're in India and yet the hero has to be this kind of douchey, hard-action, knobby white guy. Like, it's just a bit... Wouldn't you rather see a film about Indian or Pakistani or Bangladesh, Central Asian actors playing that those roles, you know? Mm-hmm. So the only bit of acting Chris Hemsworth has to do in this opening 15 minutes... Has ever done... Is... Wow! <laughs> is uh, was in Ghostbusters. Was with his boss of... um, Khan. Was with his boss who uh, with with his uh... spit it out. <laughs> with his boss Khan. Um. Anyway, you you talk about that, guys. Help me out, please. <laughs> you make it sound like it's my fault. You've got nothing to say. No, I have something to say. I was just tripping over my words. So we see this meeting, which has got sexual undercurrents, and like you picked up on a good point of obviously this dresser in red, the most obvious thing to dress her in because oh she's a temptress, some sort of lustful passion underneath it, but she's also danger. Asian provocateur. It's danger for him to take this job of this woman. I think that's the same title Ramesh Ranganation uses, isn't it? We're not talking about that 
crap comedian in our podcast. <laughs> Come on. Right, should we end it there? Have you got anything else to say? I've got loads of things to say. Not to Ramachang and Nathan, though. <laughs> I've got nothing, then. <laughs> okay, stars down. What are you giving this? <laughs> uh, I think I've... Uh, seven. All right, I'll give it eight. Let's move straight on to our second film now, and that is in the classic category. The film is Groundhog Day. Dan, I oh. believe you have the premise. Is it? I watched Sky Pig Evening. I have no idea what this joke is. Groundhog Day. <laughs> Sky Pig Evening. Mm-mm, I'm so funny today. Why is pig the opposite of a hog? What's the opposite of a hog then? Like a flamingo? Or like an eel? A hog is a female pig. No, it's not. A sow is a female pig. So what's a hog? Male pig? Anyway, a groundhog's a beaver. You like the beavers, don't you? <sighs> Mature. Right, Dan, what's the premise? Sent to cover the annual ritual of groundhog Puxatawney Phil, a self-centred TV weatherman mysteriously begin the living for the same <laughs> again and again! So, this is a film where I feel like everyone kind of knows what it's about, but not everyone's seen it. Yeah. Do you know any other films like that where you kind of know the title, you know who's in it, you know what the plot is, but you actually haven't seen it? Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> Why haven't you got around to that yet? Because I want to keep perfection unattainable. So what I love about this film is the plot is obviously great. The idea that someone has to live the same day over and over again. There's a lot of dramatic value to be found within that. Yeah. But what they do so cleverly is here, the film doesn't go beyond its scope. It doesn't reach for high concept. It sets it within a framework that just feels quite natural and organic. We have a grumpy, bitter weatherman who's talented at what he does, but he's become embittened by his job and what was obviously used to be a passion. Martha's, Martha's written in. <laughs> <laughs> she says, for his use of the word, the use of the word, embittened. It's certainly a very confident film, isn't it? I don't think so. Oh, right, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> um, something I hated, though, was it starts with... <laughs> the. Sorry, the film has a horrendous song from at about four minutes in as they're driving out to Puxatone to cover this... Uh, you don't mean story. the opening song, which is delicious. Delicious? Is that the right word for a song? Well, I enjoyed it. I savoured every note. Mm-mm-mm. They dripped out of the sky into my ears and fulfilled me. Now get me a big glass and glug, glug. Basically, they have a song that is uh, assimilates to his job as a weatherman. Basically, assimilates. And what it reminded, yeah. Martha's impressed. (laughs) (laughs) Want a background? Let's keep moving on from Martha. I think the listener is going to understand. She might be slightly fictitious at this point. Funny surname. <laughs> so, they have a song that's about a weatherman. Doesn't that remind you of, you know, Holmes and the Hammer? Do you know when, like, someone mentions something about, I don't know, we were trying to build an outside extension, but it kept raining, and then they'll play, like, It's Raining Men over the next scene? I think Dion Dublin has a uh, executive producer decision over the, all those songs, doesn't he? <laughs> he makes the final call. Anyway, I'll keep going with this film then. Something else that irritates me about this film is Bill Murray obviously comes from a sort of character acting sketch comedy background. 
And I think there's three moments I counted already in the opening quarter of an hour of this film where Bill Murray is just being Bill Murray on the screen. There's one way he's imitating a groundhog by like tucking his top lip in. There's one way he's trying to force his hand into his mouth. And it's just a bit farcical and it just sort of screams of bad Jim Carrey. Sorry, you've, you've lost me a bit talking about Bill Murray here. When does Martin Roberts come into the <laughs> show? We have to explain who Martin Roberts is now because not everyone's going to know who he is. That's on them, not me. Um, Bill Murray's very good. I mean, he plays the twat character so well. Luke and I love an underdog, don't we? Any kind of competition, the fat old woman, she's winning. She's winning for us. All right. Don't make it too fine a point. And Bill Murray goes after our demographic, really. The lovely old woman who runs the... Uh, B&B. The B&B, thank you. She runs the B&B. He's a right knob to her. So that definitely, you know, turns us... Well, it turns me and Luke against him, anyway. So, Dan, he goes after her by going after her spelling skills. Yeah. So let's introduce the first... 15 spelling bee. Dan Wade, your first word espresso. E S P R E S S O. Ding! The second word Bill Murray goes after our Airbnb host on, claiming she can't spell, is cappuccino. Can I have it in a sentence, please? Sorry to complain about this cappuccino. But I found a pube in it. C A P P U C R N O. Unfortunately, Dan, you've not managed to take home the spell and be crowned. But you find yourself in good company as a loser, just like that uh, idiotic Airbnb host. Fat old bitch. I want to watch this film, though. I want to see how this film goes. Does Is it going to keep its kind of zany, a bit dry, sarcastic humour? Or is it going to actually kind of develop? And am I actually going to feel anything? Because I think that's the thing with comedies, isn't it? That's why comedy is so hard to create. Is because you either go for, well, what our next film is, which is a laugh a minute. Or you go for a film that has some sort of pathos to it, but is jokey along the way. So I just wonder which way this is going to go. Yeah, sorry, Dan. I fell asleep during that. Just my final po- comment on the film. Because um, you're a <laughs> <laughs> I would watch this film as well. So for stars, I think I'm going to go for 10 myself. What are you going for? I'm going to give this... Um, yeah, I'm going to join you on 10. So that's our review, Dan. But what would Martin Roberts think of Groundhog Day? Well, I think overall, what they've done with the film has been quite good. They've kept it small and under budget. But I suppose the real test will be when one of the boys watches the rest of the film, what they think about it. But from here, under Holmes and the Hammer, we thought it was gold. You have one day as a Hollywood film director. You have the opportunity to set him on a path for greatness. Okay. You are an experienced theatre director. 
After many years of working in the West End, you are given the chance to direct a Hollywood movie. You are flown to set and are waiting in a deluxe trailer. It's your first day on set and you need to make the perfect start to the day. Decision time. Do you have a bowl of Cocoa Pops or do you have a bowl of Kellogg's Crunchy Nut? Oh, Cocoa Pops every day. Dan, Dan, Dan. <laughs> After just one mouthful, an assistant producer by the name of Florence knocks on your trailer. Mr. Wade! Is that a woman's voice? In the right light, she is. We have a problem <laughs> with Troy Michigan. Troy Michigan is your lead actor. The studio pushed for him to be cast, but he would never have been your first choice. Florence brings you to see Troy. He has let himself go a bit and has showed up to filming too stone overweight. Hi, Director Dan. I'm sorry about my gut, boy. But you know how it is with all this gorgeous food they lay about on set. Decision time. Do you berate Troy for his dietary negligence and send him home from set immediately? Or do you congratulate Troy on his brave creative decision for the character? Troy, for goodness sake, what? If, look at you. You've let yourself go, you fat bastard. You look worse than that Lou Coddy I used to work with. Troy's insulted. He goes straight to the executive producers. They side with Troy and accommodate his wishes. You are called for a meeting with the boss, Charles Monroe Monroe. Dan, Dan, Dan. You have a lot to learn about Hollywood. There are some things you just don't say. To go far in this business, you must learn to zip your lips. You meet Charles Monroe Monroe's eyeline as he looks down at a framed photo of a beautiful blonde girl. Decision time. Do you compliment his gorgeous daughter or make your excuses and leave? Charles, can I just say, um, your daughter there, she's uh, stunning. I'd bend her over this desk and woof her from behind. You total and utter arse. That's my wife. Do you want to make a habit out of offending people, boy? You're hanging by a thread. You are late to filming. Your DP, Percy Quiche, <laughs> is prepared the scene. Loving the names. You make your apologies and call out... Action. It's an intense, passionate scene between two of the main characters. Oh, Chad, we can't. We mustn't. Yes, we must. We must do this right now. <laughs> After several takes, the pair still aren't executing it correctly. Decision time. Do you insist on taking the role of the actor and replicating the lovemaking scene with the actress to show him how it's done? Or do you insist on taking the role of the actress? and replicate the lovemaking scene with the actor to show him how it's done. Chad, get out of the way and let a real man show you how it's done. Listen here, sweetheart. Get ready for the fuck of your life. During the scene, the actress accuses you of wandering hands and the police are called to set. Dan, you're not having a good day of it so far. My goodness. I feel like I was set up to fail. Shortly after they arrive, a police officer by the name of Tartan McFissel <laughs> asks to speak to you. I believe you've got some wandering hands. You've got some explaining to do. Decision time. Do you tell him the truth that you did nothing wrong? Or do you tell him to piss off and get off your film set? Mr. Tartan, please, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the truth, I haven't done anything wrong. Do you think I'm going to believe a story like that, you stupid prick? Tartan takes you to his parole vehicle. Decision time. Do you 
bash the inside door open and roll out of the police vehicle. Or tell Tartan that you're going to be sick. Uh, Tartan, I think I'm going to be <laughs> sick. As Tartan spins around to look at you, his vehicle careers off the road and off a bridge. It smashes off the bridge and lands in the river beneath it. You manage to escape and swim to the riverbed. Tartan is not seen again. Fuck you, Tartan. You, you emerge from the water and scurry off into the trees. You eventually arrive at a petrol station, just as a truck driver, by the name of Clarence Handlehips, is pulling in to use the services. He takes pity on you and invites you for a ride. You gleefully accept. During the ride, you realise you haven't told Clarence where to drive you. Clarence is busy talking about the government and how they smear butt plugs in drugs. Right. <laughs> how do I feel like whatever I'd done, I'd have been here? Clarence then offers you to try his non-drug butt plug to feel the difference. Decision time. Do you oblige and ram it up there or ask to leave the truck? No, I'm sorry, I can't have any more butt plugs in me. Clarence pulls a gun on you and locks the doors. Ooh, I say, Daniel, that was a big mistake. Nobody double-crosses Clarence handle hips. Or you know where my hands will be. Not my hips. There we go. Thank you, you got it. <laughs> Eventually, you arrive at a cliff edge. As Clarence goes to put on the handbrake... Decision time. Do you punch him or kick him? Fuck you, pa, you little prick. Yeah? You kick Clarence to the face. In the ensuing tussle, you knock off his wig. Overcome with embarrassment and shame, Clarence lets you go. As you leave the truck, you get a call from Charles Monroe Monroe. <laughs> what do you think you're playing at? You have left the film set and you have caused major financial difficulties on my studio. Decision time. Do you tell him to fuck off? Or do you compliment his gorgeous daughter? Fuck you, Charles. May I just say, your daughter's really hot. I'd have banged her like I banged your wife. I have no choice but to fire you as director. You stand at the cliff edge with distant police sirens getting louder and louder. Decision time. Dan, this is your final decision. Do you jump or wait for the police? I jump. As you fall, you remember your childhood dreams of becoming a Hollywood film director. These memories flood your subconscious and brighten the last few seconds of your existence. You enter the ominous water with a smile upon your face. Little did everybody know I'd been filming the whole time on a body cam to a live stream. My editors compile this amazing footage of a man's day gone horribly wrong and release it to the world. I am posthumously awarded the Oscar for Best Director. Dan. Dan. Dan or Snatch. We've come to the wildcard category, so the final film this week is The Wrong Missy. Tim thinks he's invited the woman of his dreams on a work retreat to Hawaii, but realising too late, he mistakenly texted someone from a nightmare blind date. Alright, should we talk about the wrong missy or can you be arsed? Oh shit. <laughs> Honestly, guys, this is a fucking balmy film. It is bonkers. I mean, I wrote five notes. I can't read them because the pen ran out. <laughs> pen ran out. <laughs> this film was, and then I don't know where to put pen ran out. <laughs>
this film was at such a fast pace. By the time Dan said, okay, that's 15 minutes, when we were watching it together, it was the most surprised I've been. That just flew by. <laughs> ever? The most surprised you've been ever? Yes. I'll stand by it. Game, set, match. We've now come to the part of the show called Nostradamus Luke. Nostradamus Luke. I think I know exactly where this film's going to go. All right. Good. And that was it for this week's <laughs> Nostradamus Luke. Nostradamus Luke. So basically, we see... I don't, it's just bizarre. I just don't know how to describe it. But this guy goes on this horrendous blind date with this girl and snaps his ankle at the end of it. I don't really know why. Tries to escape. I know, but why did he need to snap his ankle? He didn't snap his ankle on purpose. He fell from a height and he's a small guy. No, no, but look, you've got to remember this isn't real. So they've staged that and I'm asking why they staged him needed to break his ankle. I don't see. Was it for comic value? Because it was just horrible to watch. What are you talking about? It was comedy gold. Gold! As in it, gold, it sinks to the bottom of the ocean if you drop it in there. So we have a bad date, and then he obviously has to have the good date with the other girl called Missy that he gets confused with. Oh, yeah. And they find themselves in an airport, and there's a mix-up in bags, and then they have their date. Yeah, this but this bit just didn't land with me. So he runs, and he's like, oh, shit, she's gone on the plane. And then he sees her. Like, they've both missed their flights. But <laughs> we've got the wrong luggage. We've missed our flights. What would we like? Fucking <laughs> idiots. I think you're reading a bit too much into that scene. Fucking <laughs> a lot of money. On company time, actually. <laughs> That's a good point. The first date, which is meant to go horrendously bad, um, I actually laughed quite a few times during it, and I thought, wait a minute, is this actually quite funny then? But I realised when the character is trying to make every single word she says a joke, her success ratio is actually not very good, if I only last like three times. Yeah. And this wasn't just a bad date, this was obscene. She was absolutely frantic. Yeah, chewing the scenery sort of springs to mind, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. They obviously held her back from lunch on those days at set. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just also think that... What did I think? Uh, it, it reminded... Yeah, I've remembered. It reminded me a little bit of... That's my boy from week one or two. I can't remember. Um, thanks, Luke. One, apparently. And just it's like it goes for ludicrousy to get laughs. Like she's wielding a fucking machete in the restaurant because some guy chats a bit of bad mouth. The other thing I just wanted to touch upon is what camera was he using to take a picture of his cock at the end? Oh, yeah. So there's a part where, obviously, because David Spade's quite old, he's, he doesn't seem to have taken a dick pic before. He doesn't call it a dick pic as well. What does he call it? A cock shot. A fleshy photo. A big, rock, hard photograph. So he's taking one of them. <laughs> and he does it off the cuff straight away. He just puts it under the covers on flash. I think he's keeping plutonium under his bed. That's something he glows. And surely he wasn't even hard. He just takes a picture. What's he taking a picture of? His saggy 55-year-old flaccid photo. <laughs> so it's time, guys, for our second feature where Luke talks you through the correct etiquette for sending a dick pic. Handy top tips. Dan, today's top tip, lighting. Know how to use it. Don't be afraid to lose it. <laughs> Handy top tips. I didn't think anything could rival Nostradamus Luke, but we might have just found one. <laughs> All right, Dan, let's just get this done with. Right, stars. I honestly think this was marginally better than 
sextuplets, so I'm going to oh, give it... It was definitely better sextuplets. Come on, it was fast. I think it knew it was a bit kitsch and... It was shit. <laughs> Whatever. Four stars. Three. Last episode of the season next week then, Luke. So, how are you feeling about that? Yeah, pretty good. What are you uh, going to get up to during a sabbatical? What I imagine is you running through sort of hazy meadows with our last summer playing. <laughs> is that what you imagine I do anyway? <laughs> no, it's usually you're just wuthering heights and you're just screeching in a field. But it's usually you in field with uh, powerful female music. <laughs> yeah. I can still recall. <laughs> Walks along the same, laughing in the rain. Memories that remain. Didn't know this was going to be a musical ending, did we? Well, we have any idea where this show's going to take us. True. Okay, Dan, which film do you want to watch before next week, then? You've got Groundhog Day, Extraction, or The Wrong Missy. We're not going to fight over The Wrong Missy, are we, I hope? No, I'm going to have... Well, I quite like Groundhog Day, please, because I don't think I could sit through Chris Hemsworth jumping off any more cliffs. Um, yeah, that's fine. I'll go for extraction then. All right, thanks, Dan. See you later. Thanks, Luke. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to a The Rest Is Noise production. For sales and advertising, please email therestisnoise.uk at gmail.com. more episodes and to keep up to date follow the rest is noise on twitter